Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. It is Monday. And here we are. Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour. If you'd like to be part of today's program, all you have to do. Pick up the telephone, 800-848-9222 is the number to call, 800-848-WABC. Of course, lots to discuss. The news never stops. Today, we will begin with an editorial from the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, the Comey-Clinton document standard and the Trump. Standard. When Jim Comey held his July 2016 press briefing on Hillary Clinton's emails, his conclusion was this. Although there is evidence of potential violations of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. In other words... Mrs. Clinton could have been indicted, but wasn't. That ended the Clinton email saga as a legal matter, with a lecture, but without a prosecution. As we, that would be the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, wrote at the time, this was an outrageous. It was. It was outrageous. It was an outrageous move by the FBI director whose role was to investigate, turn over the evidence to the AG or attorney general who should have decided on the prosecution. He was letting the Democratic Justice Department off the hook from having to make its own judgment. Attorney General Loretta Lynch let Mr. Comey's judgment stand. Now, let us remember something about Ms. Loretta Lynch. Let us remember that thanks to a mindful and sharp reporter in Arizona, 
who, by the way, since committed suicide, strangely enough, we learned that Bill Clinton had flown into this unwatched, primarily airport. It wasn't widely watched in a private plane. And it just so happened that Loretta Lynch's private plane was there too. And Bill Clinton climbed aboard Loretta Lynch's private plane. If this, if this reporter hadn't been around and just observed this and just figured out who was who, we would have never known this meeting took place. But later on, after it became public, Loretta Lynch just calmly walks out. She says, oh, nothing. We were just talking about our grandkids for 20 minutes in the heat of Arizona. Hell no. Private little meeting between the attorney general and Bill Clinton, former president of the United States, right during the height of the campaign season. And, of course, then all of this took place. The decision not to go after Mrs. Clinton. And they say the Wall Street Journal editorial board does lesser public figures might have been prosecuted or at least sanctioned. Some were. But from then on, any prosecution for comparable alleged offenses has to be made in light of the Comey Lynch Clinton president. All of this bears on the current furor over Donald Trump's handling of classified documents at his home. Now, the key difference here, my friends, is that Donald Trump was the president of the United States, and he has the ability to declassify anything he wants to. We have had that opinion widely shared. However, the mainstream narrative over President Trump doesn't often include that in it. Or if they do, they smirk and say, oh, yeah, sure, he declassified things. Sure, doesn't matter. He, as president, gets to decide what information, by the way, he can take with him or not when he leaves the White House. That's also, that is also without question. Hillary Clinton wasn't in that position. She was an employee of the executive branch, even as Secretary of State. Mrs. Clinton was obliged to follow all of the typical classification rules that apply to government officials. As Mr. Comey said in his 2016 press statement, Mrs. Clinton falsely claimed that she had turned over all work-related emails to the State Department, but the FBI found several thousand work-related emails that were never turned over. Comey also said Mrs. Clinton lawyers hadn't even read her emails when deciding what to turn in. They relied on header information and search terms and then clean their devices in such a way as to preclude complete forensic recovery. In other words, the Clinton lawyers tampered with the evidence, folks. We're looking at each other like, what the hell is this? All of this sounds 
similar to the behavior the FBI says in its affidavit that it suspects of Mr. Trump, who may not have turned over all the documents to the National Archives, all that they wanted or the FBI wanted. Now, they don't have the right to demand that the president turn over everything to them. It is his choice. We don't know everything about the documents Mr. Trump retained, how he handled them, what he told the FBI, and other facts that are still hidden by the redactions in the affidavit, the redactions. Almost the entire document has been redacted. They end this way, if Mr. Garland can't make a compelling case that Mr. Trump's transgressions are greater than Mrs. Clinton's with enough clear and convincing evidence to warrant a criminal charge, the better judgment is not to prosecute and put the country through the trauma of a political trial that half of America will suspect is a case of unequal justice. Not suspect, we know. We know already that there's no justice here. Nothing to suspect. We know that the FBI are tainted players in all of this. We know the Department of Justice are tainted players. We know by the handling, the mishandling of the Hunter Biden laptop, of what they told Facebook, warning them off the Hunter Biden laptop story. We have evidence of collusion between the FBI and the social media platforms to try to get Joe Biden elected. We know who was tampering with an election. We know that if we follow the law, this shouldn't even be an issue. The National Archives is not more powerful than the President of the United States. The National Archives, in fact, has no constitutional authority over the President of the United States. Whether you like it or not. And that is the 100% truth. So all of this continues to be a lot of smoke and mirrors and BS. Over the weekend, this story got little attention. It's something that you should be aware of, though. The United States Coast Guard had a cutter, a, a ship, Routinely going into port in the Solomon Islands. Remember, those are Pacific Ocean, the Pacific Theater. And there was a port call, you know, let's refuel, let's whatever. The Solomon Islands government did not respond to a refuel and provision request. You know why? They've signed an agreement with China, a security pact with China. And they ignored the United States. Now, this island in the, in the Solomons is an island, Honaria, is an island of Guadalcanal. It's one of the islands that make up Guadalcanal. 1,600 Americans died fighting the Japanese there at World War II. Another 4,200 were wounded. And now the Solomon Islands, tied in with Japan, I mean, I'm sorry, tied in with China, tells the United States, under Joe Biden, nope, 
your ships are not welcome here. They didn't even give us the courtesy of answering a call. They just ignored us like we, the United States, are nothing. Now, many people are seeing this as a sign of the times that China is now the rising power in this in the Pacific theater and that we have been diminished to almost nothing, no influence. I look at it as a sign of Joe Biden's weakness. China is not afraid of Joe Biden. They're not afraid of anything Joe Biden has to do. Joe Biden, under his administration, we have become weak and we are regarded as a laughing stock. Give me a little break here. This, I guarantee you, would have never happened under President Trump. They knew better. But now we've got Joe Biden in there, and you haven't heard a thing about this, I bet. Many of you. Some of you did, but many of you hadn't heard about it. If it weren't for the good folks over at American Wire News, you probably wouldn't hear about it today because it's largely been ignored. Solomon Islands, Guadalcanal, where American treasure was given. And by the way, we saved China in World War II. The Japanese had ruthlessly taken over control of China. And the thanks that we get from the Solomon Islands today, screw America. Thank you, Joe Biden. Most nervous rush hour. Coming back right after this. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Beatles bring us back on W.A. Beatles C. We're going to be celebrating Beatles music today throughout the program. Why? Today is the anniversary of the last Beatle concert. Well, the last officially paid Beatles concert. I think they performed one other time together, but it was at Candlestick Park in uh, the formerly great city of San Francisco. And there are some bootlegs of the uh, out there of the uh, concert. There is a column today, my friends, in uh, the Los Angeles Times. I read it, and I have to tell you, I, I it made me laugh. It made me laugh hysterically, even though I it. 
It's by a, a very liberal, as you would expect from the L.A. Times, a very liberal columnist, Nicholas Goldberg. The column, here's the headline, column. Remember when we thought George W. Bush was the worst president ever? Yeah. 20 years ago next month, President George W. Bush stood before the U.N. and warned Saddam Hussein's Iraq was a grave and gathering danger. That, of course, set the stage for an invasion six months later. Based on false premises about super-destructive weapons and purported connections to the 9-11 attacks. The war ultimately killed 4,500 Americans, more than 100,000 Iraqis, cost the United States $800 billion, according to the CFR. The Council on Foreign Relations, and you kooks know what that is. I've been thinking about Bush's legacy, says Mr. Goldberg, because I saw a book and a half-price bin at a local bookstore subtitled How the Bush Administration Took America into Iraq, and I realized that, frankly, no one cares anymore, at least not in this country. Too much has happened in the intervening two decades. Remember the Bush years? At the time, many people thought he was the most awful president ever. Well, many of you leftists thought that, and you're always going to think that because you think every Republican president is the worst president ever. I remember when they were saying that about Reagan. And of course they said it about Reagan. And then when Bush 41 came along for that one term, they said it about him until he decided to raise taxes after telling America he wasn't going to raise taxes, no new taxes, read my lips, no new taxes. And then the Democrats started pounding on him, and of course he raised taxes. And that was the end of his presidency. And then came the years of Clinton, and then came who? Bush 43. And once again, worst president ever. That's what they do whenever there's a Republican president. And after Bush 43 came Obama, and Obama begat Donald Trump. And of course, when Donald Trump was worst president ever, that's what they say about every Republican president. But I digress. Let us get back to Mr. Nicholas Goldberg. I distinctly, he says, remember the cover of Rolling Stone in May 2006. Bush was sitting on a stool wearing a dunce cap and a stupid expression. And the headline asked, the worst president in history? Democrats felt a special loathing for this callow psychon of an entitled political family and for his administration's moral failings. The embrace of torture, that was not a moral failing. We, Snow, look. We ward aborted terrorists, okay? Most of the United States, the free-thinking United States, are okay with that. Terrorists were trying to kill us. They were flying our commercial airliners into buildings. They were killing innocent Americans. And so if a few of them had to get waterboarded, well, tough toenails. But of course, to liberals, that was just, that was just, oh, no, no, we can't mistreat the terrorists. Oh, how dare we? And then they talk about Abu Ghraib because some of our soldiers put 
panties on the heads of other terrorists and sleep deprive them. And oh, oh, how awful we are. Has anyone considered among you liberals that you're doing worse to the people that are in jail in Washington, D.C. on this January 6th thing? You're treating them worse than we ever treated prisoners of Abu Ghraib. But you don't care about them. No, because they're the Republican enemies. The offshore offshore prison at Guantanamo, where suspects were detained and still are without trial. You know who's sitting down at Guantanamo still? The mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, still alive. We are going on 21 years after the, ma- the attack on New York, the attack on Pennsylvania. 21 years. And he's still sitting around. In other countries, like if he were, for instance, in some of the countries that these terrorists came from, he would have been beheaded already. Decade, almost two decades ago. But he's still sitting. And then let us remember that Obama and Joe Biden released a lot of the terrorists from Guantanamo Bay. And what did they do? They went right back out and continued jihad against American troops. So you don't want us to remember all of this, do you, Mr. Liberal? Of course, Mr. Liberal here, Mr. Nicholas Goldberg, doesn't cite any of those things. He says those were the days when Bush was being compared to the least successful presidents in history, James Buchanan, Franklin Pierce, Richard Nixon, How about Jimmy Carter? Add him to the list. How about Woodrow Wilson, your good old Democrat Party racist that brought American's government back into the Jim Crow era? How about that, Mr. Goldberg? Forget about those failures, those losers, haven't you? But he says those days are over. These days you're more likely to hear that Bush is a surprisingly talented painter, even a charming dinner companion. Why, he's a friend of Michelle Obama's. I love him to death, she said. And if she likes him, why shouldn't we? His approval ratings have rebounded dramatically, climbing from a lethargic 33% favorable when he left office to a robust 61% favorable in 2018, according to a CNN poll. For Republicans, he's even starting to seem refreshingly rational and reasonable. How did that happen? Well, you know the answer. It happened because of Trump. Because now they hate Trump so much that even George Bush 43 looks good. I don't have to read the rest of this. He goes through the, he goes through the, the, the Bush years. It was Bush, not Trump, who signed the Patriot Act into law. The Patriot Act that you Democrats pushed through Congress, along with Republicans. You all wanted the Patriot Act. And then who mishandled Hurricane Katrina. That's one of the biggest lies, but I don't even want to go back and revisit it. It was school bus Nagin in New Orleans, the Democrat mayor there, who refused to send buses to evacuate people. It wasn't Bush. But you'll never blame a Democrat. And, of course, the media hopped all over it. 
from from their narrative, the same lying media that today's lying about Donald Trump's record, that's lying about what was in Mar-a-Lago, the same lying media that told us about Russian collusion. Why should we trust any of you people in the media? All you do is lie. He says that George Bush was the doofus who extolled Americans were working hard to put food on your family. Is your children learning? Then dared to insist he had been misunderestimated. His policies led to a lot more deaths than Trump's did. But at the end of the day, there's a meaningful distinction in my mind between the wrongs perpetuated by Bush and those attributable to Trump, who for my money was really the worst president, certainly of my lifetime. Trump wasn't just an old bad president. What made Trump unfit was his policies. Wasn't his policies or even his beliefs. It was his character. He's a dishonest, anti-democratic, twice impeached demagogue, a corrupt, irresponsible man without principles who couldn't rise above his own obsession with self-enrichment, self-angradizement, and a place at the center stage. You know what? The mainstream media, including the L.A. Times, are dishonest, anti-democratic, demagogues. You people, like your L.A. Times publication, Mr. Goldberg, you're corrupt. You're irresponsible. You have no principles. You can't ride above your own obsession with Trump and Republican hatred. You always want to be the center stage. All of you. So you know what? Here's what most Americans think of you. We know that you are full of it. You are fake news. And we love Donald J. Trump. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Celebrating the Beatles here on Boston Nervous Rush Hour today on this day in history. August 29th, 1966, the Beatles played their last live paid concert. San Francisco's Candlestick Park. Now, at the time, it was never announced that the band was going to be Feeny. But there was plenty of speculation they were looking to call it quits. Now, after that, later on, they made a surprise appearance on January 30th, 1969, on the rooftop of the Apple Building in London. But as far as the paid gigs, this was it, Candlestick Park. Can I ask a question being too young to understand this? Yes. So, Sergeant Pepper didn't come out until the late... What, late 60s, right? Well. They didn't do a concert for the entire Sgt. Pepper era? They were done. They were done. I mean, you know, the recordings, you, you always have more recordings than you do, or a lot of stuff still in the vault, as it were. Interesting. But they were, I mean, apparently they were just really at each other's throats. 
But you know what? They didn't even sell out the gig. 25,000 tickets sold. The venue held over 42,000 people. They were only paid about $90,000. Could you imagine if people really knew what was happening? The dressing room was supposedly chaos, loads of people there. People were trying to get press passes for their kids. Uh, Singer Joan Baez was in attendance. It was a big party. Finally, about 9.27, they went on stage. They paid an 11-song song playlist, which isn't all that long. But they did play She's a Woman, If I Needed Someone, Day Tripper, Babies in Black, I Feel Fine, Yesterday, I Want to Be Your Man, Nowhere Man, Paperback, Rider, and Long Tall Sally. Paul or somebody, one of them suggested that one of the reporters casually said, yeah, you have your cassette, tape it. And that's where the bootleg tapes that existed this gig come from. But that was it. <clears throat> Beetle history. Okay, Libs of TikTok has been locked out of their Twitter account again, again. Boy, they are they are afraid of this woman. They are so afraid of her because she is. She is putting these liberals on TikTok on parade for the world to see. And so now, of course, it's hateful speech. It's hateful conduct. They have tried to find any reason whatsoever to deplatform her. Let me tell you something, folks. This thing, and I don't talk about this often. We do talk about it on my podcast, The Future Is Now, with James Eisenberg, who is just a genius. We talk about blockchain. We talk about DeFi. We talk about all things happening in the new economy that's emerging, this new crypto economy. And if you think that we're in crypto winter and nothing's going on, you're wrong. The big players, Fidelity, MasterCard, the big players are emerging in the entire crypto world now. While everybody's kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. The big players around the world are positioning themselves right now. But one of the things that we talk about in there is how Web3 is coming. And I don't want to get into minutia, but Web3 is going to change everything. These companies like Facebook, like Twitter, that continue to deplatform conservatives, there will be a day of reckoning. I promise you. A day of reckoning is coming. We're going to take your calls shortly. Turning to Pennsylvania. And the race down there for Senator, this guy that's running against Dr. Oz. Maybe we should try to reach Dr. Oz one day, Mehmet Oz. But the Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, the Democrat, is really making a big deal over voter ID laws. He doesn't like them. And of course, black people are, like they always are, are the pawns. Fetterman says that voter ID laws, which are the standard in most countries around the world, suppress the vote. He says he's horrified that Republicans push for voter ID laws in Pennsylvania. And he says that poorer Americans and people of color are less likely to have ID on them at any given moment. How the hell does he know that? 
Does he do? I mean, is he Mr. Expert on what black people are carrying around in their pockets and their pocketbooks? What makes him an expert on black people and what they carry around? He says, in my own state, they're going to pass attempt to pass a constitutional amendment, making sure that universal voting ID every time you vote, not just when you sign up, but every time you vote, because they understand that at any given time, there's tens of thousands of Pennsylvanians who are typically on the poorer side and people of color that are less likely to have their IDs. So you see, my friends, once again, black people are inferior. We're inferior. We just can't figure out how to have an ID. Not like those old smart white people. Oh, no, no, we can't have IDs. Now, here's what they never mention in all this ID crap. A overwhelming majority of black voters want voter ID and support it. An overwhelming number of Americans support voter ID. It's only these leftist Democrats, these racist Democrats, running around here trying to convince America that black people are too stupid to know how to get an ID. This is insulting. Every black person in Pennsylvania should be insulted that this man thinks, hey, you darkies, you are too stupid to have a voter ID. That's what he's saying to the darker people. They call them people of color. That's what the Democrats call them, people of color. They're so stupid, they don't know how to have ID. It's insulting. It's racist. Black Americans, like every other group of Americans, like every other Americans, are smart enough to have ID, sir. We are not inferior people, sir. Democrats can't help it. They are institutionally racist. This just infuriates me. Let us head to phone shall we Jacqueline in Brooklyn New York welcome how are you this afternoon afternoon, James I'm good I I hope you're doing well also after uh, a nice weekend yes Uh, good Um, you know I want to thank you for mentioning in your opening monologue about that incident that happened in the Solomon Islands with our Coast Guard Um, I had I get most of my news, as I've mentioned to you before, from both the Christian Channel and the Catholic Channel. And I watched a program where Gordon Chang was interviewed by the host, and later, if you allow me to, I'll mention the uh, station. If people want to listen or or watch, they can. Um, China, as you mentioned, is totally to blame for this. Um, China has a plan to have 10 Pacific nation islands endorsed an agreement with them that would cover everything from security issues to fisheries. And you had mentioned uh, Micronesia, the area of Micronesia. The president of the uh, states of Micronesia, his name is David Panuelo, he told the other Pacific Island leaders that he would not endorse the plan, calling it the single most game-changing proposed agreement in the Pacific in any of our lifetimes. And he said that it threatens to bring a new Cold War era at best and a world war at worst. Now, many of your listeners may not realize that um, China is looking to control everything. They want world domination. Gordon Chang has said that many times. Now, there's a a tiny island called Kiribati, 
It's it's spelled Kiribati, but it's pronounced Kiribati. And they have fishing grounds the size of California, and they're only 1,900 miles south of Hawaii, which makes Kiribati our next-door neighbor, and China wants to improve an airstrip there, which means that China would have facilities for its air force, which could attack Hawaii, which is extremely dangerous for us in the United States. And China has entered into an agreement. They did sign an agreement with the island of Kiribati. China is moving actively. If you look at what they're doing in the South China Sea, they are escalating hostilities with the United States. They're putting the Philippines at risk. And by the way, many Filipinos are worried at what's happening over there because it's unreported over here. China is being very aggressive. You see that they're still being aggressive, flying missions over Taiwan. They have made it, and as you said, this goes beyond their own sphere of influence in China. This goes through Africa, and what they've done in African nations right now is loan them a lot of money against the hedge on, oh, we, 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 we love you people. We love y'all. Here, here's some cash. And they've called in the loans on some of them now, taking over key port cities. This is what they did, believe it or not, in Sri Lanka. China is moving aggressively around the world, and they are moving to isolate the United States. And our president and this administration appear to be so dim-witted that they can't put two and two together to understand that China is actually trying to surround the United States. They now have a blue water navy. They are making all kind of agreements that place the United States, and by the way, they have an agreement with Russia too, a cooperation agreement with Russia poised against the United States. These guys are playing hardball, and they are playing long-term games, and we are ignoring it, and we are ignoring it at our own peril. Last word. You want to tell us where you found that information, Jacqueline? Yes, uh, and there's there's one other point. Both of those countries that you mentioned, China and Russia, they're atheist uh, regimes, and religion is a threat to them, and they are uh, M.O., uh, the station is called EWTN, as in Eternal Word Television Network. The program is a news program called World Over Live. The host is Raymond Arroyo. And this particular program with Gordon Chang uh, aired on uh, June the 6th. If they want to, they can, uh, you know, get it online. Thank you, Jacqueline, as always. Love hearing from you. James Golden, AK Snurley, coming back. More of your calls straight ahead. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, many of you remember this is the song that introduced you to the Beatles. I remember watching Ed Sullivan... When the the British invasion began, you know that can't be 
They appear, you can barely hear them singing over the screaming. I am getting some great questions from our chief engineer, Scott, my chief engineer, Scott Sokol, about um, the Beatles' history. And I have to be honest with you, I don't know the answers to some of these well, things. Well, re- what I just looked up, you're right, other than they were still recording. They kept recording, but they never performed again. Yeah, they couldn't stand to be on tour with each other. <laughs> they could barely stand, in some cases, being in the studio with you. I mean, there is a recording of the Beatles that you can hear now. It's been released. Uh, and by the way, some of these recordings are great because you hear the multiple versions of the songs. Like, there's a version of The Long and Winding Road that doesn't have the strings. And and Paul was really, I think, upset that the strings were put on. But you can even hear some of the tension in some of the sessions that they were doing. Because some of them captured some of the back and forth talk between them. So one of these days, I'm going to find the Beatle expert. Because I am not that guy. And we'll just do a special podcast or something on the history of the Beatles. Long overdue. Hey, you bring up Bed Sullivan, and that's another thing that I never experienced because I'm too young. Did just but seeing clips of him, he just looks like such a curmudgeonly old dude. Ed Sullivan was. Did you? Did people like him, or did you just watch loved the show? Ed Sullivan. Okay. Okay. They loved Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan was like the. In fact, if you the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York, of course, is where they taped the Letterman Show when it was on, and Ed Sullivan was was every bit a legend on the entertainment side that Edward R. Murrow was on the news side or Walter Cronkite. Ed Sullivan, his demeanor and and his demeanor. One of the things I love about him is he never got in the way. He just came out. He. Well, and now here's blah, blah, blah. Give him a round of applause. And if you got on the Ed Sullivan show, it was like he was Johnny Carson before Johnny Carson in this respect. If you got on the show, that was an indication that you had either made it or your career was about to take off. Because most of America, Sunday night, was glued to what Ed Sullivan was doing. He was an amazing, he was, there will be no other like him. He broke so many acts. Those of you old enough to remember Ed Sullivan, you know, back me up on this if you'd like. Yeah, great question. We're going to find a Beatles expert, and we'll do that one day. Meanwhile, let's get back to the phones. Uh, Bob in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. Welcome. You're on WABC. It's Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. Remember, Cats at Night is up next. Bo, first-time caller. How are you? Good. Thank you, Bob. My wife and I are both here. Dr. Oz is coming to our small town in Pennsylvania tomorrow night, and it's going to be a thrill for us. I just wonder, in your vast knowledge, if you had a question for Dr. Oz, what would you ask him? I would ask, I would ask Dr. Oz one simple question. What will he do for Pennsylvania that Fetterman wouldn't do? What is his, what is his game plan for the people of Pennsylvania, especially given where we are with this high inflation, with the energy prices the way they are. Energy is a big deal in Pennsylvania. And and Pennsylvania played a key role in America being energy independent. 
And I would just ask Dr. Oz what his plans are if he wins the governorship for Pennsylvania to to make sure that your state can prosper again. That's what I would ask him. Bo, I got another another point for you, if you don't mind. Sure. We also own a farm, and on this farm, there's we're in the Marcellus Shell. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. Oh yes, of course. That's where liberals whine about the fracking. This is what people don't understand. When the gas companies come in, they take off the gas. Under the oil, under the gas, there's oil. That's the Utica shell, and under that, there's more gas. People don't know that. Pennsylvania could be the wealthiest state in America if it were allowed to exploit its natural resources. You know that, Bob. Yes. Yes. It's like it's like you could be the Saudi Arabia of America inside your state alone. You know what the first thing Governor Wolf did? He started looking into more taxes, extraction taxes for the gas, all kinds of taxes. And basically it chased a lot of these people back to Ohio that were drilling. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bob, there's your agenda. Let us hear from you more often, my friend, and tell your wife I said hello. Hello, wife. Hello, Bob's wife. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. You guys enjoy the rest of the afternoon. We want to hear from you You again, okay? Thank you very much. Tell us how, tell us, both of you, tell us how Dr. Oz was. Call back and tell us how Dr. Oz was, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Andrew in Stanhope, how are you? Doing pretty well. It, it's not at all funny, the voter ID thing, but uh, Army Horowitz, he did a little documentary. Then he took his black top, his laptop, starting to the black community in Harlem, and he started playing it and getting responses from black people. And mostly they were only very offended when they could fully believe that it was true. Like at first they seemed like it was an MTV punk thing, like, oh, you're, you know, you got to be kidding me. The people are saying black people don't know how to use the Internet. They don't know where the post office. So they, they were like more in like a disbelief, like, are you tricking me? This can't be serious. But once it, they understood it was serious, the lady was very offended. She's exactly like, right. I want to know why they don't think we have ID. You exactly know, it right. It's offensive. Right, rightfully offensive. She was very angry. And why do they think they think really the truth is they're just using that line, but it is very racist and offensive to even use that. But I want to say, Fetterman, when I worked with the Fox 56, the affiliate in Wilkes-Barre and Scranton, first of all, Biden's like shockingly unpopular in Scranton, but this guy Fetterman, he's even worse. Like, he's never out, and he was nasty to my co-worker, this reporter, who is actually a Democrat, and he said to her, Oh, you're a Republican, you're with Fox, and just gave her a hard time. But nobody liked him. And it's, like you said, the oil, the uh, natural gas fracking, the people want it. Some of the buses even, they say, you know, Pennsylvania natural gas that they're running on. So that's a huge, huge thing. Republicans are jumping on it. It's just like you said, Saudi Arabia. Pennsylvania is the Saudi Arabia. He's a liberal trust fund kid, so he's not in the real world. But he's wildly unpopular. Like, well, I, I hope that, that I hope Dr. Oz can pull it off. It looks tight right there. Now we'll see what happens. Andrew, thank you so much for the call. Love your contributions, Bill in Long Island. How are you this afternoon, Bill? How you do, sir? Do you hear me? Yes, I do. But you got to get to your point quickly. 
Okay. We have to look at the problem of the spotted lantern fly. Okay, Bill, I brought this up on this show three weeks ago, and you're absolutely right. Folks, there is an invasive critter in the New York area, and you talk about especially for agriculture, not just for your landscaping stuff. This critter, this spotted lanternfly, is horrific. It can do such damage. They need to be eradicated. If you're unfamiliar with them, they look like huge moths. They're beautiful looking, actually, in a strange sort of way, in a grotesque way. But they need to be eradicated before they eradicate your food supplies here in New York, and agriculturally speaking, of course, and also, you know, the, 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 the landscaping. So absolutely right, Bill. We did talk about it. And by the way, the feds have sent about $20 million here to New York to help try to get rid of it. Anyway, my friends, already much too soon. It's over. Remember, Cats at Night is up next. We're coming back tomorrow, Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. May God bless and protect each and every one of you, my friends, and your families. We shall be here tomorrow and all week at 4 o'clock. And remember, I think this Saturday we might be in London. We'll see. Anyway, we'll catch up with you later. Bye. Perhaps I'm not nice, but I'm doing a great job for you.